WDET is supported by the College of Business Administration at University of Detroit Mercy. UDM's Master of Business Administration is designed to accommodate the career needs of professionals across a variety of work organizations. More information at business.udmercy.edu. It's the Metro on 101.9 WDET. I'm Tia Graham. And I'm Nick Austin. Today on the program, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell explores the significance of Michigan moving its primary day up to the month of February with WDET's own Stephen Henderson. Today is Michigan's primary Tuesday. Polls will remain open until 8 p.m. You can still register to vote in person today, but it is too late to mail in an absentee ballot. To find your polling place, you can go to michigan.gov slash vote. But first up on the show, United Auto Worker President Sean Fain endorsed President Biden in the run-up to the primary today. That was after Biden supported UAW during the months-long auto strike, something no sitting president has ever done. But does all this mean UAW members will support Biden in the primary? NPR's Layla Fadil investigated this. She began by speaking with the family of a UA member, UAW member in Flint. Hi. Are you Shelly? I'm Layla. So nice Nice to meet meet you. you. That's Shelly Zissler welcoming us into the home she shares with her husband, Matt. We sit down in their living room. The walls are graced with family pictures, and there's a little aquarium in the corner. I start by asking if the UAW endorsement means they're voting for Biden. I will never let anyone tell me who to vote for. I'll take information from everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, in the end, I'll make up my own mind, whether it's the union-endorsed candidate or not. This work and the union run in their blood. The couple met on the job working for the same GM plant. He was my electrician. Oh, nice. And then eventually I figured out how to make my machine quit working so he would have to come over. And <laughs> I knew it when she figured it out, but I didn't tell her not to do it anymore. <laughs> Shelly's a third-generation auto worker, and one of her sons is now also in the union and an auto worker, as was her grandfather and father, a lifelong Democrat before he passed. She carried on that tradition as well until recently. My dad was diehard Democrat, so yeah. I grew up a Democrat, and was it was almost impounded in me that we're Democrats, we're Democrats, we're Democrats. Yeah. And last year was the first time that I voted Republican because I felt like Trump was better suited to run our country. She misspoke there. She meant the last presidential election in 2020. She blames Biden for the record number of migrants crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. Trump has vowed to crack down, while Biden blames Republicans in Congress, encouraged by Trump, of blocking legislation that would reform the immigration system. Shelley's husband identifies as libertarian, and he says he wants the government to stop sending money to wars abroad when it's hard for most Americans to make ends meet here. I really don't know in this general election if either one of them is worth my vote. Mm. Do you feel like you don't have a good choice? Yes. Within the last two general elections, I felt the yeah. same way. What did you do last election, if you don't mind me asking? I voted for Trump last you election. You did? Mm-hmm. And did you feel it like was, at that I, time? It was, it was a very painful vote. Both Shelley and Matt say they wish they had different choices. They say they're worried about how deeply divided the country is. I think we're mirroring Washington more and more and more. Mm. You watch some of the hearings over there, and it's juvenile. And that's what's happening here in in the country. So they're supposed to be leading us, and they're acting like fools over there. 
Shelley's 27-year-old son, Matt Vaughn, is sitting nearby. He says despite the generous pay raise he got in the most recent union contract, he can't keep up with the cost of living. We're trying to save and trying to take a vacation every now and then. It's almost next to impossible. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's hard. And yeah. I struggle quite a bit. We're joined now by national political correspondent Don Gagne. He's based here in Michigan. He's covered the auto worker industry and unions for decades now. So, Don, we just heard from a union family. How representative are they of the union vote? So when you listen to them and you listen to their concerns, I I would say that they are a typical UAW family, but I don't know that I would call them the typical UAW family. The UAW, according to their internal polling, their members tend to vote around 60% for the Democratic candidate. And here we have a family of people, they they all appear to be at least, they're leaning toward Trump if Mm -hmm. they haven't fully committed. So that would put them kind of at odds with where the union is more broadly, but not overwhelmingly. But it also shows that the UAW vote, like the union vote broadly, is not monolithic. A lot of people vote for a lot of reasons, even if they're in the unions. Some of them are voting on trade policy or on union issues, but some of them are voting on abortion or other social issues. So I guess the big question is how much does the endorsement matter? It feels like it's a pretty significant endorsement, more so than in years past. Again, I mentioned that number, 60%, where Democrats not only count on that, but need that, right? And in years past, there have been a lot of cycles, too many cycles for auto workers, where they've had concessionary contracts, where they've had break-even contracts. They've been struggling. They've been beaten down. They weren't necessarily ready to take advice from their leadership, right? Now they've come through a period with a new and charismatic UAW leader, Sean Fain, who just brought them through a successful six-week strike in the fall. They got raises in the range of 30%. They got new job security. There is a resurgent UAW right now. Mm -hmm. And the question for me is if that has an impact at the ballot box. Yeah. President Biden calls himself the most pro-union president ever. Does his record reflect that? Uh, It does. You know, he calls himself Union Joe. He talks about the unions backing him when he first ran for office decades and decades ago. And they've stuck with him and he stuck with them. Uh, He has consistently supported policies, uh, right to organize, uh, worker protections, those sorts of things that the unions have pushed for. And don't underestimate the fact that during that auto strike last fall, he showed up in Detroit and marched on the picket line with striking auto workers. No president had ever done that. And that same week, former President Trump came to town, but he went to a non-union parts factory in the suburbs, and the UAW leadership and the rank and file sure took notice of that. That was NPR's Leila Fado speaking with Don Gagne about how UAW members will be voting today. That's right, voting today because today is 
Election Primary Day, and this is the Metro on 1019 WDET, the new show connecting Metro Detroiters through stories and conversations about the news, art, and culture affecting the city and our region. Speaking of art, coming up later in the show, we'll learn about how young people are using fashion to make a statement, an Afro-futuristic statement. But first, take a quick break, and we'll come back with more on the Metro. WDET is supported by the College of Business Administration at the University of Detroit Mercy. UDM is offering a new Master of Science degree in ethical leadership focused on sustainable, ethical, and inclusive problem solving. Admission is open to qualified applicants with a bachelor's degree in any field. Course selection is flexible with no prerequisites, four required courses, and six electives. Learn more at business.udmercy.edu. Welcome back to the Metro on 101.9 WDET-FM, your daily connection to news, music, conversation, as well as arts and culture that's moving and driving our region. Taking a quick look at the forecast. Today, cloudy skies, sunny in the afternoon with a high near 67 degrees, a little scary, but it is a nice day. Wednesday, rainy and windy, a high near 57. Thursday, sunny with a high near 41. And Friday, ending the week, partly cloudy with a high around 51 degrees it is it primary is primary tuesday that is right tia and this is a really important day sometimes i know it doesn't seem like it because it's not the big dance but you know in speaking with a lot of political scientists they'll tell you some of the ones i've spoken to that this day might be more important than the general election because of how much it narrows things down yeah. still despite that tia turnout for primary elections is generally low and it's often only high information americans who vote in fact if you listen to these folks they'll say hey we got to do something to make it that people are more likely to get engaged and vote in these. But why aren't people voting in the primary? And why is it that people uh, do decide to come out to vote? Uh, to learn more about this, Wayne State political science professor Awa Golbioska, uh, who specializes in political psychology and political behavior, spoke with WDET's Hearns Laguerre Jr. about the trends heading into the 2024 primary elections usually vote in primaries in large numbers. And I think that has to do with people don't see the stakes as being as high in primaries as they see them in general elections. Um, They see the cost of voting as being greater in primaries because, you know, there's usually kind of less information that's right in our faces. Politics is perhaps not a major priority, uh, are probably willing to defer to others who know and care more about this this phase of American politics. Being that we have the primaries coming up, what, what's going to get people out to vote for the primaries? Or do you see uh, another year of low vo- voter turnout? So there's a lot of concern about economic conditions. Economy does drive voter turnout, whether it's the objective or uh, you know perceived economic conditions that can turn people out. In addition, uh, we know from political science research that uh, perceived closeness of an election can result in higher turnout. We've developed perhaps some 
you know, what you could call unrealistic expectations about what turnout might be based on what it has been in the recent elections. In the last three elections um, during the pandemic and beyond, we've seen higher than average turnout. What we also know from looking at historical trends is that whatever spikes in turnout occur usually revert back to more of a baseline of people, a, a particular percentage of people voting. What other trends that aren't being talked about do you think will have an effect on voter turnout? So so the thing I've been trying to ponder is what difference do the candidates really make, given given how unhappy uh, most Americans seem to be about the choice between likely Trump and Biden. And interestingly, political scientists argue that candidates don't really matter that much. So when you think about some of the more popular presidents, like President, former President Obama, in his first election, turnout was pretty high, but it was still about 57% of eligible voters. By the time of his second election, turnout dropped. Turnout in Reagan elections was actually lower than it was in a Jimmy Carter election in 76, which probably is counterintuitive, right? Because you would have expected that the candidate would drive voters to the polls. Uh, a candidate who was more charismatic, but it hasn't really necessarily been the case. In this day and age of polarized party partisan identities, th- that it's going to be all about the party vote. The candidates are less consequential than people's partisan identities and what they represent. Ewa Golbioska is a political science professor at Wayne State University. She spoke with WDET's Hearns Laguerre Jr. about why so few people vote in the primaries. This is the Metro. And coming up on the Metro, we'll hear a little bit about what Debbie Dingle believes about this upcoming election year, especially primary voting day here in Michigan. Don't want to miss it. Stay right there for the Metro. This is the Metro on 101.9 WDET, your daily source for news, arts, and culture covering Southeast Michigan. I am Nick Austin. And I am Tia Graham. And speaking of Southeastern Michigan and covering all uh, areas there, the National Park Service has awarded the city of Detroit a $50,000 grant to showcase Arab American and Chaldean immigrant stories. Detroit's Historic Designation Advisory Board is using the underrepresented communities grant to document community stories of Arab Americans. The city will also be asking people to share pictures and personal stories to add to a national register. As well, we'll have an extended conversation tomorrow about the history of Arab American and Chaldean Americans here in the city of Detroit. But right now, today is voting day in Michigan, and the fact that it's earlier this year is important. That's because the states that vote earlier impact how other people vote in states later in the calendar year. Recently, WDET's Created Equal Congresswoman Debbie Dingell spoke with Stephen Henderson about why the primary date changed in Michigan and why it matters. Decades ago, in the late 80s, Senator Carl Levin recognized that two small states, Iowa and New Hampshire, 
which are not diverse, which do not reflect the diversity of this country, were having a disparate impact upon who got nominated to be president. And I opposed Carl Levin twice because people don't understand how complicated the presidential nominating system is. As soon as this next presidential election year is over, the presidential nominating system, the rules of the game, are established by both parties, Mm -hmm. Republican and Democrats, for the next cycle, which is one of the challenges for this year for Republicans in Michigan. But I told Carl Levin that he was right that these two states should not have the disparate impact. You can't change the rules of the game in the middle of the game, but that I would work with him at the beginning of the next time. So approximately a decade ago, we got close to the finish line. And why does it matter? Because I don't think any one state should have a lock on going first. But you see what happens when you're an early state. You're already seeing it here in Michigan. You're seeing the candidates come to Michigan after Iowa's done, New Hampshire's done, South Carolina. Then Georgia was supposed to be in there. Mm -hmm. Michigan's next. And candidates are coming to Michigan. And let's talk about why that matters, The, 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 the disparate impact that you that you talk about. Look, there are a certain number of delegates available to every presidential candidate. Uh, the person who's going to get the most of those delegates is going to be the nominee. Why does the order in which you get those delegates and, and the order of the states that get to choose their delegates, why does it matter? Shouldn't it just be that, hey, uh, if you're a good candidate, you'll get you'll get votes everywhere and, um, uh, you know, the, the best person will win. Why do, why why does that not a sufficient explanation for the way it works? This is such a complicated subject and most people don't understand how yeah. complicated it is. But I'm going to start with the point you made. Everybody knows about Iowa and New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And the presidential candidates, those people that are not running in 24 this year, but are likely candidates in both the Republican and Democratic Party, when Ron DeSantis dropped out, already started talking about 2028. 28, sure. And Iowa and New Hampshire are states that they immediately focus on. They know every issue that any voter in Iowa or New Hampshire cares about, they study and they focus on. The media knows every corn dog and state fair and every in New Hampshire and Iowa. They live there and they write about those issues on a national basis. So we know the issues that matter in those two states. If you are somebody that's trying to make a difference, many of the candidates for president are already in elected office or they're in a business. The issues that matter. Why do we have ethanol fuel? Iowa, corn. Corn. There's, it's these two small states. Everybody focuses on them. Everybody goes to those two states. And the issues that matter there get on. I mean, I think everybody should have the opportunity to have the issues that matter in that state be discussed and focused on. But I I think two small states that do not reflect the diversity of this country should have that big an impact on who becomes president. So is there also something about just momentum uh, that that takes hold in these in these primaries. In other words, 
if you win in Iowa and you win in New Hampshire or if you lose in those states, it becomes uh, easier or harder to continue your campaign, to get the attention on the issues that you are uh, uh, focused on, and more difficult for voters in other states to kind of push their issues into the race. So it's more than momentum is one of the issues. You immediately say, see everybody say if this candidate doesn't do well, they're going to have to drop out when they – but money is money. unfortunately – a Which very big part of this. Right? Money follows momentum. So candidates, if they're not viewed as having a chance, if they're not viewed as being in the mix, they don't get the money. And even self uh, uh, candidates that uh, are spending their own money, self-funding candidates, find themselves dropping out because they simply don't have the money to compete. Uh, if you've watched what President Trump's strategy has been, it's to try to cut off money to anybody that's running against him or to create it. So, I mean, to be perfectly candid, money matters in those early states. That was WDET Stephen Henderson speaking with Congresswoman Debbie Dingell on Created Equal, which runs from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Monday through Friday, just before the Metro. This is the Metro on 101.9 WDET. I'm Nick Austin here with Tia Graham. And Tia, the Michigan Public Service Commission will host a public hearing next month for feedback on recent changes to the state's energy laws. Those changes include a goal of 80% of Michigan's energy to come from clean energy sources by 2035. The public meeting will take place March 4th at 6 p.m. at Cass Tech High School in Detroit. Interesting. So you do have an opportunity now to weigh in, just like you have an opportunity right now on presidential primary day to weigh in on these elections. I voted in the primary. Pretty happy to do it. Whatever it takes to get some more people to vote in the primaries, because these things are important to you. they are. They are important. And, you know, I think about voting and I think about all types of other things to do with the city of Detroit. And it always goes back to, you know, are we doing? Are we looking good? How are we looking right now? I mean, you, if you're going to go out in public for early voting, nine days of early voting, you might as well be stunting. Them. Might be stunt. Might as well be stunting. Might no, well no, be no stunt I'm kidding. Them. But um, <laughs> the next conversation is about fashion, Nick, and it's about just bringing your own flair and your own passion to uh, fashion and how it is used to really express a unique idea that you have of yourself the unique idea that you have of yourself and young people especially have unique ideas of themselves and the fashion industry is growing and a new generation of designers want to put their unique stamp on this industry the boys and girls club of southeastern michigan have for the second year collaborated with tori nichelle the founder of mason black and nichelle and the boys and girls club created a fashion mentorship program back in 2020 the goal is to amplify the excellence of black young men and the outsized impact they've had disrupting industry trends in art and design. This year, the program was expanded, and a group of young women went to New York to show off their Detroit flair. The Boys and Girls Clubs of Southeastern Michigan launched their industry clubs back in 2020 as a way to prepare young people for future success. The industry clubs give students a practical approach to working in a specific industry, in this case, fashion. 
Last year was the inaugural program, which sent students to New York to participate in Fashion Week. A group of young men took a bite out of the Big Apple, and this year, five young women traveled to New York for New York Fashion Week. Elise Dixon is the chief program officer for the Boys and Girls Club, and she says the young women had the opportunity to work with industry professionals. They've been working incredibly hard, and a little different than last year, these young ladies designed two full looks that will be part of this show. So we'll have 10 looks created by our youth at the clubs, and one of their garments will go up for sale on Maison Black's website, so they'll be able to actually sell their looks under their brand as well. Nas is a senior at Western International High School and produces gender-neutral fashion. She traveled to New York this year and says the industry club helped her find a space to create. I opened up and it, it gave me a chance to just open up and just like, you know, and I felt like I wasn't alone because we were all just starting out. Logan is a 16-year-old streetwear designer and a sophomore at University Prep Art and Design High School. She also traveled to New York and says her love for creating started when she was just a little girl. Um, it really started from a young age. I used to tear apart my mom's old clothes or like even I was using like cupcake holders and paper towel rolls to make clothes for my Barbie dolls. So it's like I always had like a really huge passion for just creating things in general. And then I kind of found that outlet when I started to just tear apart things, really, and put them back together. This year's theme was Afrofuturism, highlighting and celebrating creativity and innovation while inspiring the next generation of black designers. Logan says to her, Afrofuturism is about unity. I immediately went to Afropunk culture because I feel like Afropunk culture, I've said this a million times, Afropunk culture is Afrofuturism. It's a living representation of just a community of black individuals uplifting each other and continuing to uplift each other. And I feel like me contribute, actually all of us, all the youth involved in the program are contributing to Afropunk culture. Naj says she was inspired by the idea of Afrofuturism before she could define what it meant. She credits shoes she had to design in the eighth grade to honor George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. I like to call it the equation. It's just the combination of, you know, activism and creative works um, and also advocacy. Nas says Afrofuturism is about the forward movement of all Africans in the diaspora. It's not just for African-Americans. It's for African-Canadians, African-Caribbeans, you know what I'm saying? So. Because it's Afrofuturism. It's not African-American futurism. Back in August of 2023, the Boys and Girls Clubs announced new collaborations with Michigan Central to expand workforce and entrepreneurship programs. Logan says the Boys and Girls Club provides outlets for young people and allows them to be a part of the upward movement of Detroit. I think the future of Detroit is happening right now. The Detroit is on a come up, like seriously, especially with youth. And I feel like the Boys and Girls Club is playing a huge role in that because when we think about youth, we think about, of course, we think about different outlets that they can go through. The Boys and Girls Club provides those outlets for us and allows us to be a part of the come up of Detroit. Nas and Logan agree that the future is now and it's happening in Detroit with its young people. And Logan says she'll carry Detroit wherever she goes. I really think us just bringing, I remember Nas, I'm quoting Nas right now, bringing our own swag to New York is like the key piece. Because at the end of the day, we're born and raised in Detroit. And no matter where we go, we're still going to be born and raised in Detroit. So even through our looks, we're going to continue to show that we were born and raised in Detroit. And because we're born and raised in Detroit, we're going to carry Detroit wherever we go. So whether that's even, I'm saying, like, throughout all of our looks, I feel like there's a piece of Detroit swag in each and every single one of them. Because it's, like, undeniable. Like, how can we take the Detroit out of us? It's not going nowhere. 
learn more about the Boys and Girls Club of Southeastern Michigan, head to bgcsm.org. Nick, I'm ready to pop and lock. I mean, obviously, you got Cybertron Clear playing back yeah. there, showing love to Juan Atkins, Detroit Tech Techno. Of oh. course, made real popular Missy Elliott, Timbaland, music hey. makes you lose control, brought back to a whole new generation of folks. This was a very important track in my development in Detroit techno team. You see, I love that. Generations of Detroit music, art, and culture right here on the Metro. All right, man. But I can't be getting all popping and locking before (laughs) noon. I haven't even properly stretched, okay? Um, So when you get a chiropractor, Bill, for all this movement you made me do without properly stretching... You're going to know why, Jerome Tia. says that. He calls it like the, I can't I can't remember what he calls it, but he calls it some type of upbeat music that it gets, it's too much. Yeah. It's too much, he says. Yeah. yeah, well, we all love our fearless uh, WDT News Director, Jerome Vaughn. Love him. For giving us all of this insight here. We love you for listening to the Metro, uh, your new source for news, arts, and culture, the things driving Metro Detroit forward. want to make sure that you know, if you didn't already know, Michigan's primary today, polls will be open until 8 p.m., so you still got an opportunity opportunity to get in there and if you even aren't registered to vote it's not too late you can register to vote in person today uh, as well so make sure and especially if you have an absentee ballot by the way also a little late for that so you're going to need to go in (laughs) and vote but to find your polling place you can do that by going to michigan.gov slash vote in fact tia a little bit later on today we will hear from michigan's chief election officer the secretary of state uh, jocelyn benson looking Looking forward forward to that conversation but coming up or i should say right now we want to get into some of the changes going on In the state Republican Party, uh, the Michigan Republican Party is going through a lot of changes. After not raising enough money, party chair Christina Caramo was voted out by her peers and replaced with Pete Hoekstra. But Caramo is not going down without a fight and is still trying to remain the party chair. WDET's Shana Roth and Zach Gorchow from Gongwer News Service explained the chaos inside the state Republican Party and why Karamo's status as chair will now be left to a court decision. Christina Karamo is trying to fight this uh, and losing so far. Uh, she tried to insist she was still the rightful chair of the Michigan Republican Party, but the National Republican Party, the Republican National Committee, says they're recognizing Pete Hoekstra as the chair. And now this is all playing out in the Kent County Circuit Court, where Hoekstra's allies are asking for a judge to rule that Karamo was properly removed under state party bylaws. Karamo is insisting that the breakaway faction did not comply with party bylaws, though she suffered a setback early this week. Her motion to dismiss the case was rejected by the judge. And now the question is, will Hoekstra's allies get a preliminary injunction that says Christina Karamo is no longer the party chair? If that happens... She has indicated she will concede and step aside. We're really in this sort of waiting game. And for some Republicans, like Oakland County Chair Vance Patrick, a ruling really can't come fast enough. The donor class right now has retracted because um, Christina is just unfortunately not focused on running on, on raising funds. Um, Pete Hoekstra 
is when he when so you you mentioned I I threw my head in the race for uh, for chair, um, got third place, and everybody came up and said, Vance, you're you're kingmaker now, you're kingmaker. I'm like, what? Oh, so I got to throw my votes behind either um, Lena Epstein or uh, Pete Hoekstra. So my team did get a call from Mar-a-Lago, and I said that in my speech to throw my votes behind Pete. They said, throw your votes behind Pete. So we did that. And Pete and I have talked every single day since he was elected. Christine and I have probably talked three times since she was elected. The largest county in the state, granted, Wayne County's bigger, but you know, Wayne County's cut up. So Oakland County is the largest county in the state. And she's doesn't, we don't communicate. Um, she was upset that I had Donald Trump here in June last year. I had 3000 people for a dinner at suburban. And I think she was just mad that I got Trump and she didn't. And you shouldn't be upset that Trump is coming to Oakland County. You should be excited that Trump's coming to Michigan. Um, that event put $300,000 in my bank account. That's what we've been living off of. In addition to having different fundraisers to not eat away at it. But again, I've got two paid staff. We've got rent at our nice office right on Woodward. Um, it's expensive to be in this business and you need to raise money. And unfortunately, Christine is not raising money. That's it for us today, but you can hear our whole conversation with Oakland County Chair Vance Patrick on the Mishmash podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, Zach. See you later, Shana. That was Shana Roth speaking with Zach Gorchow about the state of the Republican Party in Michigan. This is the Metro on 101.9 WDET, your daily source for news, arts, culture, all the good stuff. Driving Metro Detroit, Detroit, Southeast Michigan forward as I am Nick Austin with Tia Graham. A little bit later on in the show, as this is presidential primary voting day, people are going out to to the voting booths. We're going to talk with the state's top election official, Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. But before I do that, Tia, yeah. I want to hear from you uh. about what you're thinking about in the news right now. You know, in today's history, I am a science buff. I'm a science nerd. I love learning about, you know, just the different things, discoveries and the things that we don't know yet or the things we don't know to ask questions to yet. But in 1932, on this day, the neutron was discovered. Mm. The neutron is a subatomic particle about the same mass as a proton, but without an electric charge. English physicist James Chadwick was later awarded the Nobel Prize for his discovery. So, you know, it's just advancements in science happening today, 1932. Yeah, that's my number three neutron. Number one would be <laughs> the Pointer Sisters Neutron Dance. Oh, okay. Number two, Jimmy Neutron, even oh. though I never watched it. Oh, I, I still I slot them up, up so there. Yeah, I did, yeah. Number number three, uh, scientific discovery that has driven a lot of uh, our science forward. I slot yes. that number three. Oh, that's number three. Number three. But okay. you know what? In that list, number three is not a bad place to be. So <laughs> shout outs to you, Neutron, for being discovered on this day several years earlier. Yeah. But also, speaking of science and getting yeah. into the health portion, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services has confirmed the state's first case of measles in Oakland County. The MDDHS recommends children one year and older get vaccinated. The department says the disease is contagious, but preventable. Measles is spread through direct contact with people through the air. Symptoms include high fever, cough, runny nose, and tiny white spots on the inner cheeks and gums of the mouth. So letting that know, because it's one of those things that we know is preventable, but to have it pop up, 
little bit concerning. It's a little concerning. Um, you know, you know, I don't want to say like, thank goodness, but you know, I don't have children right now, so that's not a concern that I really have to focus on. But to the parents out there and those who have children, you know, I, I, I really feel for them. Yeah, they have to yeah. go through something that could be very, very potentially scary. Yeah, right. Exactly. So make sure you're all locked up there. And like they say, recommending children one year and older get va- vaccinated. So if you haven't had a chance to, this might be just that little push forward, if not for you, maybe for those around you as well. And this is my last thing happening on today. Okay. Uh, 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 do you know the show Drunk History? Yes. Okay. So I learned about who Ralph Nader was from Drunk History. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Ralph Nader, who is now 90 years old, by the way, was born on February 27, 1934 today. Uh, Nader is an important person in American politics as he helped boost consumer safety laws, which one of those things is a seatbelt. A seatbelt. You know, the that's before he ran for president yeah. in that election uh, in 2000, which a lot of people should wag their fist at. He was always the seatbelt guy that people brought. You mean the dude with made me wear a seatbelt? Yep, yep. So shout out to Drunk History for teaching a generation of individuals who Ralph Nader was. All right. Well, shout outs to that. Shout outs to you as well. Make sure, like I said, today is that uh, it's voting day. Slash your opportunity to make your voice heard in the primaries. Polls will be open at 8 p.m. But again, to find your polling place, go to michigan.gov slash vote. This is the Metro. And coming up, Tia, we're looking forward to having a conversation with Michigan's Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson. Welcome back to the Metro on one oh one nine WDETFM this February. 27th Tuesday. Taking a quick look at the weather forecast today. Cloudy skies partially clearing up this afternoon with a high around 67 degrees. Tonight, expect the low near 51 and with thunderstorms. Tomorrow, Wednesday, a high around 57 degrees. Expect windy conditions up to 23 miles per hour. Thursday, sunny skies, a high around 41 degrees. And Friday, partly cloudy with a high near 51. Your weekend also highs in the low 50s upper 60s so we're looking at or i guess you can say the upper 50s low 60s all right well i'm with it because i need to bust out the the bike i have not you i have this bike it gets no use it's winter it should be colder what prevents me from using the bike if i'm gonna have this warm i might as well take it to my advantage make sure you stretch first you did say you need to stretch you need to limber up yeah well maybe that's why i won't be getting on the bike so (laughs) you're to blame for that also limber up (laughs) Speaking of the news you need to know today, by the way, the Federal Trade Commission is suing to block Kroger from merging with the Albertsons grocery chain. The agency says the deal will eliminate competition and lead to higher prices. The companies say it would make them more competitive with Walmart and other rivals. So seeing a little bit of work from the FTC working to drop block mergers. Not something that we've seen so much happening recently, but I'll tell you, it is nice to see, hey, maybe monopolies always not the hey, greatest thing. don't do that. We have the laws on the books for a reason. And competition is healthy within capitalism. What are we doing? Hey, competition is healthy between radio hosts also, Tia. I see you over there looking at me. She's like, hey, man, the healthy competition that we have going back and forth on this radio show. I love it. 
I uh, love it. You know, you know. I was gonna say, you know, I don't know, I don't know. I, I, I compete against myself, Nick. This is good. You know who else we compete with? Ryan Patrick. Is Cooper. he here? He's not here oh. yet. This is our opportunity to drop a little bit of knowledge on the friendly competition that we have with him. With, also, with, with Ryan, always loving that. Yeah, and I always have beef with him. I don't have competition. I have beef with him. He never brings me bagels or food. He just, you know. <laughs> So that's my beef. He never feeds me. You know what? We'll talk about that a little bit later on with him. But we know some other things have happened here uh, today in this uh, day in history. In 2010, there was a massive earthquake that struck Chile. The quake measured 8.8 on the Richter scale, leaving more than 500 people dead and thousands injured back in 2010. Really, really, really massive there in Chile. You know, I've never experienced an earthquake in Michigan, but I've heard people claim that they have. You have? No. I've heard people claim that they have felt earthquakes in Michigan. I remember there was one that happened in Detroit, and uh, everyone talked about it, but I didn't feel it, so I kind of felt left out. Yeah, yeah. well, the earthquake happening right now for us is, again, the presidential primary. Maybe all the people (laughs) go into the polls, or maybe not quite as many as we expected because of early voting, thanks to nine days of in-person voting, plus changes making it easier for voters to register as absentees. More than one million people have already cast ballots ahead of today's primary. So, what do these changes mean for Michigan both today and moving forward? And do these will these changes have an impact on election security? What should we expect at the polls in November? To learn more, we're joined by Michigan's Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson. Secretary Benson, welcome to the Metro. Hi, good morning. Hey, good thanks m- for having me. Hey, thanks for joining us as well. I just mentioned early voting. Hey, we're finally really breaking it in, in a big way. How's it been going so far statewide? Well, I mean, early voting started January, uh, February 17th, and over the nine-day process, we saw nearly 80,000 Michigan citizens take advantage of that opportunity to vote. And along the same time period, we saw 985,000 Michigan voters return their ballots through the mail or at a drop box, and more are rolling in every day. So already over a million citizens, before voting even started today, had cast their ballots in this presidential primary And as I've been visiting precincts throughout the morning, I see a steady stream of voters, a little bit lighter turnout perhaps than in the past because so many folks voted ahead of time. Uh, But still people are showing up and taking advantage of their option to vote at their local precinct today if they haven't voted already. Yeah. Yeah. And making it easier to vote is something that Michiganders have clearly wanted. For example, in 2022, you mentioned the early in voting process, uh, early in voting, in person voting process. But I think for some, the phrase easier to vote can also make them think it means easier to defraud or game the system. Mm-hmm. But what do they get wrong in your aspect with that? Do these changes make it easier for someone to have some monkey business? Or why is not that not the case when we expand access to voting? Well, we always say that there's a dual goal of making it easier to vote and harder to cheat. And everything we do uh, in, as election officials really is is doing both of those things simultaneously, expanding access to the vote with these new options under the law that voters themselves voted into existence through their votes in 2022. And then secondly, making sure we're through best practices and data and other advancements, putting several security protocols in place to ensure that only valid voters can uh, cast their ballots, only eligible citizens can vote, only valid votes are counted, and that the results of the election are accurate. We also have several audits and other tests before and after the election to make sure things are going smoothly and that everything is uh, secure. 
And we have set up a website, michigan.gov slash election security, for folks to read through everything that we do to secure our elections, whether it's in the early voting stage or in the voting by mail stage or in person on Election Day. Yeah, we're speaking with Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. And Secretary Benson, over the weekend, I read an article uh, that you authored where you not only discuss three things uh, people who are worried about democracy should be doing from your vantage point, but you also share a really personal story about sheltering in home uh, while people outside uh, had guns assembled outside your home uh, while you were protecting your child. I don't want to take the story from you, but can you share with folks that story, why you felt it was important to share it and how it informs your work as Secretary of State? Yeah, you know, in in the days following the 2020 election cycle, there were candidates and their supporters who were really upset that they lost the election and still are and still haven't fully accepted that loss. And the rhetoric and the noise and the allegations and the falsehoods and the meritless claims that were all thrown our way, even by the then sitting president of the United States at the time, had an impact. It wasn't just noise. It actually led to people who were mobilized by that those lies to attack election officials, including myself and local clerks like the Detroit City clerk, who they felt had done something wrong. And the reality is we didn't do anything wrong. We did our jobs. We administered a secure election, yet still uh, had to endure some very harrowing moments, like the night when people showed up outside my home and, and were shouting into bullhorns in the dark of night for me to come out and, and face them about the results of the election that were were accurate and abundantly clear. So that moment was very pivotal for me, for my family. It was very harrowing. But at the same time, it reminded me of our duty to protect the results of the election against anyone on either side of the aisle who would come to try to diminish those results or interfere with our elections in any way. Yeah. Well, you did mention in that article, three things people can do if they're worried about democracy. Would you like sharing those recommendations with listeners from your uh, experience? Yeah, I think the first thing is just to become an expert in elections. There's going to be a lot of confusion, a lot of chaos this year. Uh, you know, the, the information is there on how to vote and everything we do to secure our process. Michigan.gov slash vote is a resource. Talk to your election officials, but know the rules of voting and, and participate and get everyone else to participate as well. Secondly, be prepared to counter misinformation with the truth. Uh, ensure that no matter what party you may be a part of, that, that you don't stand for people lying about our elections and our election workers. And then thirdly, you know, we are at a precipice in our country in this election this year. And I think our votes need to reflect and will determine who we are going to be in the future. And so I hope folks see this not just as a battle between candidates for president, but really a statement about who we're going to be as a country going forward. Are we going to be a country that allows misinformation and lies and, and, and chaos and confusion to rule the day? Or are we going to support candidates on either side of the aisle that actually speak the truth and and seek to serve and and try to heal rather than divide yeah. us. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and that, that's my hope moving forward, that yeah. we can support that vision for America. Yeah, well, I know it's a busy day for you. So Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, taking some, thank you for taking some time and joining us on the Metro. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for this edition of the Metro. But before we close out properly, we got to let you know about what's coming up at noon. Yes. With- Brian Patrick Hooper, what you got for us? Uh, today on In the Groove, we're going to have a belated birthday party for Erica Badu. Uh, Nick, you were supposed to bring the cake. I should have. Um, we're also going to dive into a Donald Byrd record that's celebrating a massive anniversary. So 
Tons of Detroit music that I've got from Danny Brown, Donald Byrd. We'll talk about how Donald Byrd influenced a lot of the samples of Jay Dilla. Plus, new music sprinkled in the whole thing in the groove coming up at noon here on WDET. Thank you so much, Ryan. Looking forward to the show today. But that's the Metro for February 27th, 2024. It's a Tuesday. You can listen to recent episodes online at WDET.org. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. The show is produced by Sam Corey, David Lyons, and Jack Philbrandt. Our technical director is Nate Bender and music by Sam Bobian. Our news director is Jerome Vaughn. And our program director is Adam Fox. The Metro is a WDET production, a listener-supported service of Wayne State University. And if you want to hear and want to support the Metro, consider becoming a member at WDET.org slash donate. And that's actually if you like what you hear. Yeah, yeah. If you like what you hear, we'll take it if you don't like what you hear As also. Well. I'm with it. But you are listening to 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit Public Radio, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Now get out there and vote. WDET is supported by the College of Business Administration at University of Detroit Mercy. UDM is offering a new master's degree in ethical leadership focused on sustainable, ethical, and inclusive problem solving. More information at business.udmercy.edu.